If anyone out there is looking to start a podcast but doesn't know where to begin, I have a great tip for you. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's actually what I'm using right now. Anchor is free to use and there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a ton of other places. Another cool thing is you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast is right in one place. Seriously, it's so easy. My first ever episode I recorded sitting in my closet, talking to my phone in the dark. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello everyone, welcome back to the mini episode of Dancers Doing Stuff. This is the Artist's Way Week 8, Recovering a Sense of Strength. Um, and I know I said this last time, but I can't believe it's almost over the 12 weeks. That's crazy. Time has gone both so quickly and also so slowly. It seems like I've been doing this book forever, but also... I can't believe I'm almost done with the whole uh, 12-week course. Um, but yeah, so this whole chapter, um, the intro talks about how recovering a sense of strength takes time. Um, and in this chapter, we will be exploring the ways in which you have used your perception of time to preclude taking creative risks. Identify and make practical changes in your life excavate the early conditioning that may have encouraged you to settle for less than you deserve creatively. So all of that sounds really great. Um, the last chapter was super short and this one made up for it by being quite lengthy. So there are a lot of different sections. Um, the first one starts with survival. Um, and so basically she says, artistic survival is surviving loss. A loss of hope, a loss of face, a loss of money, self-belief. We have many gains, but losses are inevitable in an artistic career. But loss can be turned into gain and strength. Um, and so basically, in order to move through loss and beyond it, we must acknowledge it and share it. If we don't, it can become artistic scar tissue that blocks our artistic growth. It may feel too silly or painful or humiliating to share, and that's when these losses become secret losses. Um, and a loss can be an injury that takes you out of dancing, a show that people don't come to, and I would say even in this day, like a video on Instagram that hardly gets any likes. Uh, personally, I posted a picture the other day, and it got maybe like 29 likes, which was a lot less than normal. So I thought, wow, am I that ugly? And so <laughs> I'm sharing that loss with you guys and also acknowledging that it is actually completely uh, meaningless to my life. But I just thought that was a funny thing to share. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like social media, it really sets us up for artistic loss almost like because it's so tricky because it's a way for us to share our art and be brave and put it out there. But it's also literally a tool that shows us how many people like it or even pay attention to it. Um, and I wonder what Julia Cameron thinks of Instagram. I'll have to look into that and see if 
if there's any information about that. But um, she says, Our artist at the core is a child. What we can handle intellectually far outstrips what we can handle emotionally. Um, And so the disappointing reception of a good piece of work or not being able to try a new medium or role due to other people's expectations are artistic losses that must be mourned. If we don't mourn them, they may block us from future dreams. Criticism is one of the most damaging forms of artistic loss. True criticism can be a map and make artists have an aha moment, Uh, but damaging criticism is when the critic has ill intentions and doesn't contain a saving kernel of truth, that's in quotes, um, aka just a blanket judgment. That's when criticism isn't great, and we've talked about that before in other episodes and other chapters, so it's, it's a good reminder bringing it back up. The next section is titled The Ivory Power, Um, and I have a quote written down that she started off this section with saying, many academic beings are themselves artistic beings who are deeply frustrated by their inability to create. And I put right next to that, I said, oh, uh, because that was a that's a statement. Um, but she also writes, I have another quote written, academia harbors a far more subtle and deadly foe to the creative spirit. Um, and I personally, I don't think that it's this black and white because I learned a lot about my own creativity in school. That being said, uh, the first time I was ever told that my creativity was, quote, wrong was also in school. I went to a very uh, artistic, um, progressive high school that was really awesome. But uh, one of the things like we had, you know, you took all different types of art and we had a really creative schedule. We had seven semesters and you only took three classes at a time and you could take dance in the middle of the day and then, you know, chemistry and a class on just Jane Eyre and it was a it's a great school I definitely recommend it um but the first time that I ever was kind of told that my creativity was wrong was actually when I was a freshman um the way that our school is set up the dance program is you know it's not just an after school activity so we have a set class called dance concert where we get to create and work on choreography and you know have different uh, conversations about it and work on different pieces and then eventually everyone gets to come for selection day and vote on which pieces will actually make it into the final dance concert. Um, And my freshman year I was just really inspired to make a duet with one of my new friends and we were going to do a super classic jazz combo to Blackbird, very fossy with the hats and the black leotards Um, and I I could see it on stage. I would dream about this and I was so excited to make this dance Um, and we started working on it and we got so much feedback especially from the teacher who ran the program when I was there who I absolutely love um, and totally respect but just this one moment it like stands out to me and um, basically she said that we couldn't do our jazz dance and it it was a very um, you know modern heavy program we didn't really have you know we had some other classes but usually for the dance concert most of the pieces are modern based and so I guess 
it came from a place of wanting to push us to expand our creative world. But the way that it came across to me, especially at such a young age, was that my idea of art wasn't good enough and that in order to be a real creative person, I had to be different and, you know, things that were like mainstream, like jazz or musical theater were like a lower caliber of art. Um, and, I don't know, like I, we ended up having to change it and I did like the dance that we came up with, but it just wasn't my original vision. And I know it definitely taught, I learned a lot from that process, but you know, it also probably would have been fine to have me like really delve into jazz and like really get the Fosse style and really, you know, go deep into that and do it right and do it justice instead of, you know, making us change the dance to something about we I think we changed it to like a Santana song and we like named it like new friends in Spanish or something like you know it was just I think the idea was trying to get us to have a story and not just create steps which I understand but I don't know it, it was a very like a artistic kind of scarring experience for me and then from that point I kind of only you know would try to make like deep dances I mean I not really because I was still in high school but um, and, and I also kind of experienced that in college a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think I, I do kind of think that I'm not where I am or where I want to be in my career because I let these kind of artistic hierarchies control what I thought I should want to do, if that makes sense. I don't know, like hip hop and musical theater and contemporary and modern dance and ballet, they all have a scale of creativity. There's bad versions of all of those styles and there's great amazing versions of all those styles and you know there's that you can be really not creative in a modern dance piece and you can be really not creative in a ballet piece or you can be really creative and still be true to that technique so um I don't know that's just something that I was thinking about during this let me know if you uh, if you agree or not but I guess it's just kind of like what is considered cerebral art you know and like I think all of it is worthy of being created but yeah anyways Back to this chapter, um, basically she says the most rudimentary nutrient a teacher must supply is encouragement to their students. Um, and I have another quote written down from her that says, creativity cannot be comfortably quantified in intellectual terms. By its nature, creativity eschews such containment. In a university where intellectual life is built upon the art of criticizing on deconstructing a creative work, the art of creation itself, the art of creative construction, meets with scanty support, understanding, or approval. To be blunt, most academics know how to take something apart, but not how to assemble it. Um, and I wrote, damn. <laughs> that is a statement again. Uh, tell me what you really think, Julia. But I think I think I had a good dose of both at Smith. Um, obviously, I can only speak to my personal uh, experience in academic world, and I, I've only been to two. Well, I, I guess I did go to two schools because I did go to a conservatory in London. I went to Laban for a year, um, and then my my other three years were at Smith. Um, but. Yeah, I, I think that that is something that, that couldn't be looked at in college dance departments. I know I've talked about that kind of stuff on the episodes before with, with my friend Steven last week and, and just other people who have experienced that in college settings. I think, you know, it depends on the program that you're in. But um, 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of programs do have, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole other side of that where where, you know, ballet and modern are required and, you know, jazz and hip hop and tap are kind of like secondary extra classes that you don't need to do. And sometimes like you only learn about the the ballet and the modern and dance history and maybe, you know, some early jazz and stuff like that. But there's so much more and there's so much that it should be celebrated and just, yeah, I don't know. I could I could talk about that for a long time. But um, another thing that she says is, for an artist to become overly cerebral is to become crippled. Um, and and I do kind of agree with that. I think, at least for myself, that can be true sometimes. I mean, when I was younger, I would just create. I would just make dances. I would be inspired and I would do it. And now I really, I think so hard about my ideas sometimes that I, I kill it. It's creativity is gone. It's like I overthought it so much that now it's like it's it's like it's dead um and I mean that and also a lack of confidence which is a whole separate thing that I need to overcome um but so she says artists and intellectuals are not the same animal and I don't know if I really believe that statement because I think that you can be really intellectual with your creativity and your creation and still be an amazing artist. So I don't, I don't fully agree with that, but again, let me know what you guys think. She then says many talented creatives were daunted early and unfairly by their inability to conform to a norm that was not their own. Shamed by their grandiose dreams, the young artists may channel their gifts into more commercial endeavors and then forget their dreams of doing more groundbreaking and riveting risky work. And okay, but like, what if their dream is more commercial? And who's to say commercial endeavors can't be groundbreaking art? I don't know. I guess I'm looking at this through the lens of dance. And I think she probably means commercial in terms of like becoming a businessman or, you know, working for, I don't know, for some reason, the only company I can think of is McDonald's, which is really bizarre. But I don't know. It just, I guess, it frustrates me when people think that like commercial dance is not groundbreaking and is beneath people for some reason because I've seen so many commercial dancers and you know I mean the the most recent uh, Burberry commercial or a, a campaign I'm obsessed with it everyone go check it out it is so good there's like they're in London and they're dancing and there's like these big ice snowballs coming down and that's technically um you know, commercial work, but it is for sure groundbreaking to me. I, I could talk about that video forever. It's amazing. Maybe I'll share it on the Instagram for dancers doing stuff. Shameless plug to <laughs> go follow that. Um, but yeah, also, I mean, like who says that art has to be groundbreaking, you know, like can't it just be something that makes someone feel happy or makes you feel anything? So I don't know. Uh, but anyways, she says also, in order to recover our sense of hope and the courage to create, we must acknowledge and mourn the scars that are blocking us. An artist's life will have its injuries. The trick is to survive them and learn how to let yourself heal. Also acknowledging the wounds that are self-inflicted. A lot of times we are offered a chance and we sabotage it with our fear, low self-worth, or simply our other agenda. And this can haunt us down the line, she says. Um, and the next section is titled, Gains Disguised as Loss. 
art is the act of structuring time. That's what she starts out by saying. Um, viewing loss as gain is all in the framing. Every end is a beginning, but it's hard to remember that sometimes. We focus on what we leave behind, but we need to focus on what lies ahead, which can be hard because we usually don't know what that is. The trick is to metabolize pain as energy. Trust there's a silver lining or a different door that you can walk through. Um, and there's a quote here. I'm going to butcher his name because apparently that's what I'm doing this week is butchering everyone's names. Uh, the guy is named John Cassavellis. Cassavellis? Um, but basically the quote is, in order to catch the ball, you have to want to catch the ball. That makes sense. So basically, you've got to reach out for what you really want and ask how instead of why me. Ask, you know, what is necessary next? The key to career resilience is self-empowerment and choice. If you look at successful creative careers, you will see this principle in action. Um, and she gives this example of a dancer, actually, who I never heard of, and a director and filmmaker. Um, her name is Shirley Clark. Uh, she was a dancer, and then she became a filmmaker because she wanted to see quality dance films, which is so cool. And I was really excited to, to look her up after. Um, but she says that she was actually the first American director to shoot a feature in Harlem. And she was the first American director to explore the range of the handheld camera. So very cool. Um, she also became a video artist, which I don't fully know what that means. But uh, that's what Julia said. Um, and yeah, she listed like a bunch of like really well-known directors and people who have you know been inspired by her and it's it's crazy because I didn't even know her but her whole point of bringing up Shirley Clark was that you know once one avenue dried up she shifted to another she didn't let herself get blocked she just moved to another open door um, and the key to artistic survival is basically action um, and she says a tip is when you're faced with a loss or um, you know like something goes wrong in practical terms, like you go to an audition, you get cut, or you mess up in front of a whole class full of people if we're ever allowed to take class in person again. Um, the key is to, you know, take one small step to support your artist. Um, acknowledge the pain of the loss and promise yourself a future worth having. So I really like that. The next section is titled Age and Time, Product and Process. Um, and it starts off with the quote, I'm too old for that, ranks with I don't have the money for it in the great lock lies we use to prevent further exploration. Um, this is something that we tell ourselves to save ourselves from the emotional cost of the ego deflation involved in being a beginner. I'm too old is an evasive tactic. It's always used to avoid facing fear. Same thing goes for I'll let myself try it when I'm retired. Um, and she says, as a culture, we glorify youth and allow our youth the freedom to experiment. We disparage our old timers, but allow them the right to be a little crazy. Blocked creatives often tell themselves both of those lies. Uh, we don't want to look nuts <laughs> at whatever our age is. Um, so instead of allowing ourselves a creative journey, we focus on the length of the trip. Um, and I have a star right next to this quote. Um, and I have, 
We like to focus on having learned a skill or having made an artwork. This attention to final form ignores the fact that creativity lies not in the done, but in the doing. I love that. I don't, I thought that was amazing. Um, and so I also wrote down another quote that says, in a sense, no creative act is ever finished. Doing the work points the way to new and better work to be done. Focusing on process, our creative lives retain a sense of adventure. Focused on product, the same creative life can feel foolish or barren. Um, and that is so, so true. And I know I've said this, I feel like a broken record about, you know, Instagram and, you know, thinking that everything has to be perfect all the time. And it's just another reminder that the creative process is just as valuable. Um, but yeah, so another thing I wrote down that she said was the obsession with product and the idea that art produces finished products comes for our, from our consumer-oriented society. Fixated on the need to have something to show for our labors, we often deny curiosities every time we do this. We are blocked. The grace to be a beginner is always the best prayer for an artist. The beginner's humility and openness leads to exploration. Exploration leads to accomplishment. All of it begins at the beginning with the first small step. The first small scary step. I can't forget that word. <laughs> the last little section, um, uh, well, it's not really a little section, but the last moment, uh, I don't know why my words are failing me. <laughs> the last section, that's it, that's what it is of this chapter is titled Filling the Form. Um, and I wrote down a quote right at the beginning that says, taking the next small step instead of skipping ahead to a large one for which you may not be yet prepared. Um, so that's what filling the form basically means. So basically break it all down into small steps. Um, and personally, I like to work backwards when trying to accomplish a goal. Um, you know, think about the big thing and then Write down all the little steps that you need to get there. That way you can take small steps um, and feel like you're doing something. Um, but she says, block creatives often like to think about changing their whole life in one fell swoop. Setting the bar too high sets us up for defeat. Fantasizing about the big dream sometimes means we don't work on it at all. And wow, I'm attacked at that because I, <laughs> I, I definitely do that. Um, and also something that holds us back is contemplating the odds. Um, anxiety stops us from doing. We worry about it so much that it doesn't ever get done. Um, and so basically we've got to work with what we've got instead of worrying about what we don't have. Take one daily action instead of indulging in big questions. And she also, she says, you know, in terms of space flight, by altering the launch trajectory very slightly, a great difference can be made over time. The same thing is, is said with boats. You know, um, my favorite person, Kathy Eller, she quotes this from someone else. But basically, when you're in a boat and you change the degree two degrees, you end up in a whole different continent. So it's that whole uh, famous little thing that everyone says all the time, but it's easier said than done. It's just focus on the really small steps, um, and then you'll get to your dream. Um, 
And I actually, there is another section um, called early patterning exercises. It wasn't really like a reading section, but it's an exercise in the book um, where basically there's a bunch of questions about the triggers of our childhood and, you know, talking about how a lot of what we deal with now has to do with our childhood and how we learn to navigate the world, um, which is another reason why I think everyone should go to therapy. (laughs) Another thing that is right before all the tasks is affirmation. So she has a list of affirmations and she says, pick five to work with this week. Um, And I'll read you the ones that I picked. Uh, I am a talented person. I am a good person and a good artist. My creek creativity my creativity is appreciated wow that was hard for me to get out maybe that means something um four i now treat myself and my creativity more generously and the last one i picked was i now share my creativity more openly um so she just said to write those out and to just keep saying them to yourself and i like those affirmations i have a really hard time finding affirmations and picking affirmations. So it's nice to have a list. Um, it's, it's hard for me to just come up with them on my own. So I liked having a list that I could choose my favorite five from. Um, and so then it goes on to the tasks. So the first thing is about goal searching. So finding like what even do you want to do with your life? Um, and so She had, you know, write down one goal. In a perfect world, I would secretly love to be doing, or I would secretly love to be a blank. And you fill in that blank. um, And then, you know, figure out, like, what is one step that you need to get there in five years with your dream? Like, what's your true north? Why do you want to do these things? What actions can you take tomorrow to get closer to that goal? Um, And, like, make a list of a bunch of those. And then she says, you know, pick something to do this week, pick something to do this month, pick something to do this day um, that all work towards that, that goal. And then she says, list your dream. And so like really write it out, get it on paper, and then figure out the true north of that dream. So like, why do you really want to do that? I think it's kind of the same thing as people say, like, find your why. Um, and then make an action plan. So say, what are you going to do in five years? What are you going to do in three years, one year, one month, one week, and right now? And she also says reading this book can count as your action step for the now. So I was like, yeah, you got to check that off. <laughs> the next task um, had to do with, it's called new childhood. So what might you have been if you'd had the perfect nurturing, um, and you're supposed to write a whole page about it or a few pages or something um, about like what your what your life would be like if you had had the perfect childhood, which I don't think anyone has the perfect childhood. Um, but she says, can you reparent yourself in that direction now? So I just wrote like a little paragraph. I didn't get too crazy or detailed, but you could write as much as you want about that. Um, and then task three was pick a color and write yourself in first person describing yourself as that color. And I picked purple, which is my favorite color. Um, And it's kind of like a trick to get you to write like good things about yourself, I guess, because you're writing about the color purple, but you're saying I am purple. So I don't know. I I like that exercise. It was kind of tricky of her. Um, And then number four is list five things you are not allowed to do. Then do one of those things on the paper and get it done. And then she says, 
act it out or dance it out. So not necessarily doing it. Like, um, it was kind of hard for me to pick things that you're not allowed to do because the things I was thinking of were like bad things. Like you're not allowed to rob a bank. So I don't really want to, you know, I think, I think I probably did it a little wrong, but, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't act out robbing a bank in my house. So maybe I, I need to revisit that one. Um, and then task five is style search. List 20 things you like to do. Answer these questions for each item. Does it cost money? Is it expensive or cheap? Do you do it alone or with somebody? Is it job related? Is there a physical risk? Is it fast paced or slow? Is it mind body or spiritual? Um, and so that was cool. The next one is plan your ideal day. So just write out, you know, the perfect day for yourself in a perfect world, how your day would go. Um, and then choose one festive aspect from your ideal day and allow yourself to live in it. Um, and then there's a check-in. I did really bad with my morning pages, but um, I was, you know, doing a lot of other great things. So it's okay. I'm forgiving myself for that. Um, but yeah, so that was this week and it was it was a good one. So yeah, I was, this is a super long episode because it was a super long um, chapter, but I think it was it was one of my favorite ones so far. So thank you for listening. If you made it this far, definitely give us a rating and review. Um, check out all the other podcasts and I will see you guys live on YouTube on Wednesday. And if not, then I will see you or I guess you will hear me next Friday. Have a great, great day. Bye guys. I'm not going to